वेलकम टू सन टॉक सन टॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द इरेगुलर बट रेंडर्ड विल थिंक अबाउट द इंटर रिलेशनशिप बिटवीन फॉर्म्स एंड द रिप्रेजेंटेशन is it easy to say whether a shape or a curve or an object is irregular what makes something regular do all algebraic objects have geometric equivalents how do notions of compactness or rigidity impact the representability what happens when regularity fully or partially breaks down Are diseases a manifestation of irregularity? Is it easy to tell irregularity and complexity apart? May irregularity itself be functional? Are our fingers irregular? Will we be able to see all the algebraic functions in the future? Does biology need new mathematics? and what are all the possibilities that lie ahead we are pleased and privileged to have two sin talkers with us here today dr ram rai bhat he is a cell biologist and is from iis in bangalore and dr amalendu krishna is an algebraic geometer and is from TIFR in Bombay so amlendu why don't we set the ball rolling with you um as a mathematician in a rigorous kind of way um does the word irregular have a meaning is is it is it a is it a semi technical or technical notion at least if not if not a fully fleshed out idea what is irregular is it is it easy to say that um <clears throat> in it yes or no i think uh, because in school we learn different definition of regular and irregular shapes but polygons in, uh, yeah so exactly like right. regular polygons or irregular polygons uh but in higher mathematics the definition changes and they don't quite coincide with what we learn in schools mm-hmm. so in 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 a regular way regular regularity has a definition and which means that uh it should be somewhat like in technical terms what we say now is some kind of it should have a structure of some manifold or something but that is when one is talking of a shape um, yes but i mean it is is irregularity a concept that extends only to shapes and forms or it would be an even more general notion no i think irregularity usually is is meant for uh, any any geometric object right see question is like if you give me a geometric object is it regular or is it irregular mm-hmm. and when you say so you you are equating the idea of regularity with the idea of a manifold in some ways that's right and 
that's right. So regularity can be, uh, so a, a safe can be regular at some place and irregular at some other place. Mm -hmm. So there is no such thing like uh, a, a, a global, safe, global, globally regular. Yeah. So we say that a safe is globally regular if it is regular at every place. Mm -hmm. And if there is some place where it has irregularity, then we say that the safe is not globally regular. But is it possible for there to be local irregularity and for so, it to be still be globally regular? Uh, global regularity implies local regularity, right. but not other way. Around. Not the other way around. Yes. And so, what what is a manifold? Just so that you know, one is not making wrong assumptions about about. So uh, yeah, so the, the 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 first notion of manifold means that. Uh, if you give me a shape and if you give me any point in the shape, mm -hmm. uh, then at that point um, in a, a small area of the object around that point, that small neighborhood, a around. small neighborhood, it should look like an Euclidean space of some dimension, which means that in the very like non-mathematical language that if you have that object somewhere and if you go very far away from it, if you just try to look at one point of that object, then it looks like just uh, some a line or plane or three space or something like that. So either a point or a line or three-dimensional space, they're all Euclidean kind they're of space. They're all Euclidean space. So yes. a local point on a manifold would be Euclidean. Exactly. And obviously, while you're not saying it, I imagine you assume or you're implying that it, it extends to all dimensions. It extends to all dimensions, yes. And not just two or three. No, not just two. So then we say that uh, it's an n-dimensional manifold. Right. And 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 uh, would it be fair to say that that implies that there are no, that there's a certain kind of smoothness to it, that there are no edges and corners and things of that sort, or... Like what? What this. is not a manifold? I think it, so. You know, obviously, you'll turn around and say that where every local point is not Euclidean. I think one one gets yes, that. Yes. Yes. So yeah. So for example, whenever you have a safe which has like some corner, mm -hmm. then obviously at the if you look at the point where it has the corner, then it looks like some kind of cone or something like one line going in one direction one going in another direction and the two sort of lines or plane they meet at that point then uh, it doesn't look like only one one line or one plane it looks like a meeting of two different euclidean spaces so a cone is not a manifold no it's not so a triangle would not be a manifold it's not a manifold sometimes we say they are one manifold with boundaries Mm -hmm. In the sense that if you took a look at the triangle and include its interior mm -hmm. and you just throw away the, the boundary of the triangle, then it does look like a manifold. Right. It's the problem is only on those vertices where there are two lines meeting. So it doesn't look like a one line. And the problem is only on the vertices or also on the edges? The uh, problem is also on the edges because you see that... So, it's, so that's why it's, it's the whole boundary is the problem. So there we say that this uh, this structure has a singularity. Has a singularity? Yes, or irregularity, whatever. And does 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 it... Does it equally imply that if, if, if there, there's a manifold, then it is closed on itself? Uh, does it imply compactness or it does not? Uh, no, not all. So, 
uh, a closed manifold means a manifold which has no boundary. Right. So, for example, triangle is not a closed manifold, but if you look like look look at a circle, a square is not a, a closed manifold. But a sphere would be a closed. A sphere, way. yes, because or a torus would be. Uh, yes, or a torus uh, because they don't have boundaries. So, a closed manifold means a compact manifold which has no boundary. Interesting. And Ramrai, if we go to your world, and I think we have a little bit of a grip on. I think we've kind of equated the notion of regularity with the notion of a manifold, but in your world, and we'll get to your specific area, but are there biological organelles or organisms or organs or intra intracellular or intercellular things or entities that are that have corners that have or are they all manifold like in some shape or form? Now sh- surely biological objects don't exist to comply with mathematics, but um would you say that almost all or all biological objects are manifolds i would assume so i i have yet to come across any shape of any or any any particular biological object which would have a perfect um, edge or a point or a vertex they are invariably rounded uh, in some way so in fact you know it's it's fun we often um, uh talking between mathematicians and biologists when they talk a uh, common assumption is imagine a spherical cow so even a spherical cow, is, cow. Uh, we are a, not even content with yeah we are not even content with having a cow with all its roundness we would not even we would make it even a sphere <laughs> even make it more of a manifold so uh, no there are there are absolutely no edges sharp edges or uh, points if that was what w- uh, would constitute a non manifold uh, i would say almost all biological objects and uh, why is that so um like why aren't they naturally occurring um and when we when we naturally i mean living right. living forms that are non manifolds uh, right um um i would uh, that that's an interesting point and um um i really would not have a handle on why we can't get a perfect uh, sort of edge um in biology whenever we try to look at it under a microscope for example when we look at a, an organism a microscopic organism or when we dig into the organism and look at the organelles they invariably turn out to be curves it may have something to do with the physics of those objects right uh, the surface tension or the surface energy uh, that constitutes biological objects that make them so curvaceous and and even for you know unicellular organisms and so on there are even for the simplest of organisms or even uh, that in- interface between non life and life yes. there are no with viruses there would be Mm-hmm. um i actually that would be the only but then viruses again are some are kind of a gray cusp zone area. Yeah. yeah a cusp area uh, it would be interesting so uh, you know i do a lot of um, i observe a lot of biological objects under very very high resolution microscopes and when i do that um you know the the ones that are, in fact pointedness is a means of differentiating between salt crystals that are present as artifacts of the way we have fixed them and are able to visualize them um and so when we see those sharp edges and we see those sharp points that's the way of differentiating that that's not the biological specimen that's the contaminant salt right the inorganic bi- abiotic stuff that's there whereas the more rounded ones are the biological matter so um, so there's something about 
life or the nature of interactions or the nature of being in a certain kind of organic context that mm-hmm. gives it a certain kind of topological form or yes no yes. who knows yes. what is the cause and what's the effect but yes. um, and what is regularity or rather irregularity for you is, is uh, because i think amalindo li- lives in this nice abstract world but in your messy world yes. uh, does it have a different uh, yes i think it does it? it does because a biologist um tend to think in terms of three four dimensions so the three dimensions of space and the fourth dimension of time we invariably are uh, dealing with objects that are not just changing in the speciality but over time they change you mean evolution uh, i not just or, or evolution just life, so, just okay growth. so then there's the sixth dimension of that of evolution so what i mean is that an organism or a cell as we look at it and as it lives or even a, an organism like a caterpillar or a tiger uh, or even a tree for that matter they are constantly changing in their shape and their size uh, and they're moving in time and then of course there's the evolutionary time in which you look at it in a zoomed out way where you see the very nature of organisms changing over time as they undergo various uh, you know variations with with environmental as well as their own sort of variational influences so that's the other dimension of course but i i was meaning the the more immediate movements that they undertake through the life history uh, in a single generation so um, so that that is that is what we observe so when you generally think of either the in terms of time or space when you make a particular observation and if you see that the observation is happening at at a regular pace or you know in a regular fashion uh, that is what typically biologists would define as regularity uh, if so it there's happens there's some kind of an underlying rhythm or... there's an under either if if you talk about time that's an underlying rhythm for example when we think of the heartbeat uh, we could call it a regular heartbeat when it happens periodically at a, uh, with a given frequency that does not change and that's when it becomes irregular that's when we worry about it um, similarly uh, say in case of uh, spatiality so some kind of an internal clock or... exists of some kind of an internal some something that some kind of a clock uh, or a pacemaker of sorts Right. so it sets the pace in case of in case of spatiality we have what are called patterns so typically much of biology is about noticing patterns patterns in time and patterns in space so for example uh, a lot of us worry about how the leopard got got its spots or the zebra got its stripes and when we see these kind of patterns and those patterns are present almost in everything that we look at um that again conveys to us a sense of regularity um regularity at the level of some underlying mechanism as of, as opposed to the stripes per se because they might look irregular right so it there are two aspects to it so if we think of it as a pattern and the mechanism that underlies the pattern so pattern is a particular say event that's happening so it's the, like the black pigmentation that happens which we visualize it against in the contrast of white and would say that there is a particular black stripe followed by a white stripe followed by a black stripe so a periodicity in the particular event so, so that that, that would be a regular regular idea, pattern right? yes, yes i would so I, that that would lead us into one of the ways by which that is fraught and has been thought to be fraught about is through uh, what alan turing uh, wrote about in the ni- 1952 paper on chemical morphogenesis so that's of course the pattern but then the what that implies is there must be some mechanism also operating which is rendering it regular so that's that's what typically biologists interpret as regular or regularity um, with the loss of it locally or globally being irregularity
and and Amalindu, when you say regular, of course, we've thought of it more topologically and we thought of it as manifolds. But are all manifolds algebraically representable? Is that straightforward? No. No. Uh, that's so, not true. Okay. So there are because if if one because you know one is the 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 shape or the topology or the geometry of it, which you know which one has to examine visually. But if one has to think of it formally or in some kind of a mathematical or let's even call it the algebraic form, how how does one establish which shapes have a algebraic representation? How how complex or straightforward is that? I think that's a very difficult question. Uh, if you if you, if you just uh, encounter a shape or a geometric object and then you ask yourself whether this has an algebraic representation, that's a very very challenging task because a shape can be very very complex in nature, and so you have to study them. You have to check various parameters. Uh, to conclude whether it has an algebraic representation. And how does one go about doing that, Amalindu? I'm sure, I mean, the, the, one cannot even begin to comprehend the mathematics of it, but if one is just given a topological object, which, you know, because things could be quasi-irregular, right? It might look like it has some regularity to it and we may be deceived by it just optically. So how does one go about examining it? What, what's, what's, the, what's the rough outline of a process like that? Uh, basically, in, in, in mathematics, there are various theorems mm -hmm. which tell you that if, uh, if, if a shape satisfies a certain number of conditions... Certain so number what's of, the nature of these conditions? Again, nobody uh, wants an enumeration, but give us uh, a feel for example, For example, there is there like uh, if, if you have a say, um, complex uh, structure, complex in the sense of complex numbers... Suppose you have a um, uh, some some shape which has a complex structure and is compact, then and compact if, as in it closes uh, on itself. Yeah, compact in the sense that in an Euclidean space, it, it you can put it inside a closed and closed and bounded. It can area. go inside something. Yeah, it can go inside something which is already bounded. It can go inside some kind of a space. Now I know there are different kinds of spaces which hopefully exactly. we get into. So in other words, that uh, there is some some number says that if you take any point in that shape and measure from the origin of the Euclidean space, then the distance from origin to that point cannot be bigger than that number. Right. So and that number has to be independent of the shape of the thing. Then we say it's bounded. So if you have something like closed and bounded space, which we call compact, and uh, the beautiful one beautiful theorem by some mathematician, which says that who who who's uh, this mathematician? His he, his name is Chao. Chao, yes. Right. I think he's a Chinese mathematician. If I'm not mistaken, I'm sure. not sure. So so he 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 came out with this conclusion that if you have such kind of closed and bounded structure complex structure and says that you can put it inside some kind of projective space. Mm -hmm. So projective space, uh, some, which there is some, some it's itself a compact and closed and bounded uh, space. So if you can do that. But projective space is different from a Euclidean space. It's different from Euclidean space. How is it different? Uh, it's basically a projective space contains an Euclidean space. 
so it's kind of like it's it's like a, that makes life so much simpler no yeah it, it's like uh, it's like you can say it's a kind of you see the ingredient space is not compact right because so it's 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 open on all sides it's open in all sides but sometimes you want to put it, this also inside a compact space and you can do that and that's uh, one of the th- thing which you can you can do is put it inside a projective space mm-hmm. so uh so if you can somehow you have your shape you can put it inside a projective space then uh, it's it's automatically algebraic it has algebraic representation so that's a very very so powerful any, just so that you know one is getting chow right yes any compact manifold inside a projective space has an algebraic representation yeah but this manifolds would have complex structure in the sense that it should not be real it should be It, it should take values in complex numbers. What does There's that mean? There's one condition you have to put. What in. does that mean? What does that mean visually? I mean, does can you look at an object visually and say that it it is complex versus real? Uh, for example, if you look at a, um, a real line, or if you look if you look at a circle, right? Uh, it cannot have a complex structure because a complex structure uh, must have even dimension because complex number is. Uh, x plus i times y, so it's always at, at a even dimension. So, 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 so a circle, which is a one-dimensional object, it cannot have complex structure. Is there a way of having an intuition about this visually? Is there a way of visualizing because that's the at least as far as I'm no, concerned? No, I think it's the... a hard question to uh, say that if you give me a shape. when does it uh, admit a complex structure yeah not all real manifold obviously if you take uh, say three manifold any odd dimensional manifold cannot because uh, if it is a, it has a complex structures if say is a complex dimension n the real dimension must be 2n right so so if so three sphere or one one circle cannot have complex structure so in general it's not easy to say that when does it have but it turns out that uh, most of the time many of the shape which you come across in nature they do have complex structures it's not a some pathological thing so if that has and uh, it has a complex structure and so so and and you can put it inside a projective space then it turns out that you can algebraically define them you can write you can define them in terms of some finite number of equations polynomial equations and and i know that you don't do biology but it's what are these objects that have uh, complex structures in in nature or in uh, mm, for example uh, uh, you know like uh, there are many like uh, say uh, if you look at like any for example first first thing simple thing is any euclidean space of even dimension automatically admits a complex structure mm. so if you have uh, some such uh, uh, space which are put in, inside this kind of uh, spaces then uh, many times they actually have complex structures so so yes it's it's not difficult to have complex structure it's not a pathological thing but uh, again but on the other hand not everything has complex structure so if you have this kind of a structure then uh, you, you, they have a, an, an algebraic representation 
and we'll get to thinking about what 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 this algebraization even means but ramray does it make sense to even think of the nature of space like does it concern you that you know there's either a cell or mitochondria or microtubule or whatever some organ the heart cancer mm-hmm. tumors what kind of space does it occupy because you know i think when and you know there's no need to force fit anything so that's mm-hmm. not the idea but when when amlendu says projective space or euclidean space or affine space or whatever one can take these terminologies does it matter what kind of space these organs occupy like for example our body or body of any organism is it a particular kind of space in in terms of dimensionality or topology or i mean it in a mathematical sense does it concern yes. you um uh, let me give a couple of um answers to that hmm. um sort of narrative answers the first one is yes uh, obviously it does not um i have not thought about it in sure, in sure, the way sure. amelindo is perhaps thinking about it or using those terminologies i'm not even sure if i can grapple with it and i would need some thought about that but um how does space concern us um it concerns uh, biologists like in a way the other and i'll let you continue yes, but sure. the other way to think about this is that as far as you're concerned is this space just euclidean it has you can kind of go on all three sides there are bounds of things can't escape our skin and so on but is it as as far as you're concerned is it euclidean um euclidean meaning um, I mean, just it just has three dimensions yes yes i would Right. I would hope that oh, you hope so. that that all the spaces that I deal with are three dimensional and they are invariably three dimensional sure. because they are made of materials, materials, terrestrial materials, all of which are three dimensional. I'll tell you where space come, becomes interesting to biologists um, in 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 a more generic fashion. Um, for example, um, uh, we see regularities in terms of space occupancy in most of biology, um, and that. is comforting to us for instance uh, if i were to take a, a a red blood cell from your body and my body and amalindu's body and i would examine them under a microscope and try to see what space each cell occupies uh, i would have a reasonable uh, s- s- sort of values you value mean space set. as in volume volume something volume. like that yeah mm. volume within which uh, i would get that it could be so a volume for a cell uh length for say a microtubule um you know so we um a lot of biology so is some kind of a distribution it's not random oh, absolutely yeah. a lot of biology has been codified on the basis of that for example when you talk about the microtubule the microtubule constitutes what's called a uh, one of the filaments uh, one of the cytoskeletal elements inside a cell. inside a cell so there are these three different types of elements that we have cytoskeletal elements one is called the microtubule one is called the microfilament which is smaller than it in its width and then there's something called an intermediate filament so what do i call by intermediate i mean intermediate in in terms of its width so length scales coming in place so length volumes these are ways again by which we codify regularity between different animals so even the microtubule of a frog and the and my microtubule should reasonably be uh, similar in terms of its dimensions so the organs or organelles mm-hmm. are not just kind of similar dimensionally mm-hmm. amongst the three of us mm-hmm. but all we we is there similarity also across species is that your point uh, uh to, to some extent always. not always but to some extent yes 
there is of course it it diverges the more further uh, those species are uh, with respect to us in terms of their um, phylogeny, phylogeny yeah. but uh, but yes to to a great extent yes um it is retained because essentially the proteins that constitute the same kind of organelles uh, between two species are also similar to a great extent so when you look at uh, different kind of organelles or organs do you again morphologically in you know appearance wise are there different classes are you able to say that you know things would either be spherical or tubular or like a like a torus or toroid or are there are there classes of shapes to which all the organelles belong are there Oh yes, oh, oh yes, and that certainly is has been one of the ways by w- using which earlier morphologists have discovered uh, and sort of classified the different organelles, even um, even the cells themselves. For example, a, a neuron uh, looks completely different from how a red blood cell looks. The red blood cell, on the other hand, looks completely different from. Uh, from what a muscle a muscle cell look or an epithelial cell look in fact it's interesting how you bring in shape i i use the shape metaphor uh, when i teach about cancer uh, so in on on a whenever you would hear a person draw a cartoon for cancer for example uh, or in in her or his uh, powerpoint slide or in a paper um, they typically depict cancer cells as round mm-hmm. now most of these cancers are derived from epithelial cells which on the other hand would typically depict be depicted in a cartoon a square so why are we drawing a square why are we drawing a round there is actually a lot of wisdom in it which a lot of us don't really realize but in inadvertently we have actually used the shape to show what has become cancerous or why it has become cancerous so shape in other words gives us a sense of what is normal what is abnormal what is regular what is irregular shape and volume and size also tells us whether it's a liver or it's a spleen it also tells us um within the cell just, 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 whether it's just a nucleus just looking at the cell. just looking at it morphologically whether it's a nucleus or it's a mitochondria uh, it plays a very important role which is why a lot of earlier biology uh, used to be uh, what is called ultrastructural biology people would use electron microscopes and so on to really zoom up into a cell and actually see the shapes of the structures inside it and then deduce what kind of structures those are what kind of uh, organelles those are so it's interesting you bring in a cancer ramrai because cancer seems like there's some kind of a breakdown and there's hypergrowth overgrowth cancerous growth or whatever so is it just replacing of one pattern by another or it's breakdown of patterns altogether um, how how does one like if if one goes to an algebraic geometer like amalindu or somebody and you know you give all the facts and numbers and stats he could about about cancerous growth would it have some kind of an underlying mathematics to it or there isn't any or is that the definition of cancer um okay the definition of cancer the textbook definition of the cancer invariably tends to be the unregulated um uh, proliferation of cells within a given organ which is supposed to be what is called malignantly transformed or become cancerous um but again i i would bring in the shape and the volume and the size uh, or the geometry 
um, into this picture because for and I give this in my talks as well that whenever a pathologist is looking under a microscope she or he is not seeing this growth because they are typically working with cells that have been killed and are fixed under a slide and are sitting under the slide under a microscope and so what they are actually seeing is change in the geometry change in the shape change in the shape of the cells change in the shape of the organ and so on which are the which are very important sort of codifiers of what is normal and what is not Okay. Now, coming to the question of whether there's mathematics in cancer or what is really going on in uh, going wrong in cancer, uh, are there are various two, two different kinds of regularity versus yes. absence of it. Yes, um, I would say that uh, uh, yes, uh, there is a higher order um, um, change in patterns uh, of the arrangement and the interaction between different cells that constitute an organ and changes in those interactions, large-scale interactions, certainly occur in cancer. Uh, if I were to uh, make a computational or mathematical model that would uh, that would integrate all those interactions between the cells in a normal state, it's those interactions which are breaking down or new interactions coming through in the mathematics of cancer, if you will. But if one looks at a normal cell mm -hmm. and a cancer cell side by side, mm -hmm. is the cancer cell just a larger version of the normal cell? Mm -hmm. Is it? Is it? Is it just? You know, I mean, topologically, are they the same thing? Topologically, they should be the same because uh, it's just a sphere that's perhaps uh, is it just a, a, a cube that is converting into a sphere, which would be topologically similar. Are, are, they, are they the same thing? Uh, a cube and sphere are they topologically the same? No, they are. There not. are no holes, no, in both of them. I mean, I know technically there must be pores and so on. But yeah, but uh, they are not same because sphere has no corners, but cubes have. So one is a manifold and the other is yeah, not. There is not. Yes. But okay. are they? Are that. they? Do they approximate each other in some way? Uh, if instead of cube, it was a um, you know. Uh, a, a, a whatever a polyhedral kind of shape with many 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 edges. Yes. Then it starts approximating a yes, sphere. Yes, yes, yes. You can you can do that. You can sort of uh, keep smoothening the sort of uh, the, the, the the corners yeah. and. Which means that you just keep uh, sort of uh, subdividing the keep increasing the the number of the sides of the polygons or polyhedrons. Then eventually it looks like a sphere, but. Uh, as they are, they are not uh, the same even topologically. Yeah. Sorry, I stopped you, Ramrai. That's fine. Um, so, uh, in a, so let me put it this way: then at least the shape is drastically changing. So, for example, you have, you mentioned epithelial cells. Epithelial cells have a, when we tend to draw epithelial cells, we tend to draw them as cubes or as squares because they have a certain directionality because they have a certain sense of what is next to, to them. So they're conscious of what they are playing, what the role they are playing in a bigger sort of structure. On the other hand, cancer cells typically are drawn round because they have kind of lost their sense of where they are. They've lost a sense of what are their neighbors and they have become rounded and they tend to move apart. So change in shape certainly plays a big role both in diagnosis of cancer as well as in the investigation of why the shape has changed and what it entails. Now, obviously, living bodies, uh, they, they are hierarchical things, right? There are things which are rather small and smaller things make slightly larger things and so on. So are there multi-scale interactions as well? I mean, going all the way from, you know, right from the level of the organism to something super 
intercellular yes i think i believe you've gone to the heart of the matter by saying by by bringing in multiscalarity uh, i think that's pretty much what makes a an a, a, an organ or a tissue normal um there are not just the interactions that i just referred to in terms of cells talking to the near their neighboring cells right. uh but there are also cells which talk to cells that are farther away cells which are dissimilar uh, to what they are for example if i take the case of kidney um i have a lot of blood vessels that are coming into the kidney and essentially participating in the role of filtration the filtration is being carried out by the kidney cells but the blood cells and the blood vessels are bringing the blood in and sort of getting after the blood is filtered of its excretory contents the cleaner blood is flowing out so here you have the kidney cells also interacting with the blood cells so there's a a certain sense of harmony and a certain sense of architecture that is maintained by different cells that are talking to each other using both local and as well as global interactions and that's what constitutes the architecture of of most biological structures multicellular biological structures now is it a breakdown of that kind of interaction that leads to cancer or cancer leads to breakdown of those kind of interactions uh so uh if you were to ask whether the uh, the the interactions are hierarchical um i would not call them hierarchical there's actually a certain sense of dynamic reciprocity hmm. that exists between the different cells they are none of them are master regulators of the others of sorts so um if you were to ask the question of you know whether the architectural breakdown leads to cancer or the other way around it's actually a mixture of both uh, right. one can argue both ways uh, there is both uh, well there is no cancer that really exists without uh, some mutations in the in the genetic repertoire so there is always mutations and uh, that 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 are present within cells uh, whether those mutations are are sort of accelerated by problems in the environment of the cells or whether the environmental problems uh follow uh the mutations it works both ways and you know a little while ago you were you, you were kind of alluding to the zebra stripes and so on yes. right and so obviously even visually there is some kind of a one has a suspicion that there's some kind of a um you know a core kind of mechanism at work and you yes. know you alluded to morphogenesis yes. and so on now if one visually inspects these cancer tumors how yes. large or small they are yes visually is there is there an appearance of a certain kind of pattern or would you have a suspicion that some that there's some kind of a pattern again i think one is trying to understand whether there's something regular at work underlying it yes uh, it's an interesting question um, i have been you know uh, reading up uh, stephen wolfram uh, who's a mathematician right. and a physicist uh, um, who uh, apart from being the inventor of mathematica uh, also came up with this uh, notion of a new kind of science uh, so stephen wolfram uh, sort of has played with the cellular automata which were earlier um, looked into by john von neumann uh, and stan ullum so uh, so wolfram classifies his cellular automata into a certain set of classes the first a couple of classes are ones in which uh, if you play this iterative game of sort of cell cells or uh, elements changing color uh, based on their neighbors um you know so you get very simple patterns and then uh, there are others uh, where again the the rules are very simple the rules of automaton being very simple but they lead to very what he calls very complex patterns so uh, wolfram argues incidentally that you can get very complex patterns uh, with very simple rules of course um uh, that is 
uh, how uh, I would say the uh, a computer uh, computational theorist is interpreting patterns. So one can establish that complex patterns can be brought about by very simple rules. I however disagree that that's what's happening in biology. Just by looking at the pattern, it's very hard to make out what is making that pattern. Mm. Um, the reason being, um, uh, and Wolfram has also been critiqued, his, his work has been critiqued on the basis of the fact that he misunderstands the role of that evolution plays in this. So you, not only in biology need a pattern to be formed, you also need the mechanism that forms it to be ensured that that, uh, that mechanism that is, is robust. Yeah. It's robust to environmental changes, little changes. For example, you brought up Turing's uh, mechanism, Turing's reaction diffusion mechanism. The reason Turing's reaction diffusion mechanism has been critiqued by a lot of biologists is because if you change the interaction parameters even a little bit, the, the, the mechanism breaks down. Mm. that's the reason why again Turing reaction diffusion which is a very elegant and a simple piece of code if you will uh, can give about very complex patterns I think Turing kind of recognized that maybe a little bit he found it too Laplace in this it's too yes. deterministic at some yes. level yes yeah. it is deterministic uh, so um, but the, the reaction diffusion breaks down very easily if you were to change the values of the parameters so what the wisdom in this whole thingy is that um, you the mechanism has to be simple. The mechanism can be simple, but it may not be that what mechanism you can attribute to a particular pattern is the right one. Right. It also has to have that element of robustness against little tweaks and changes, which is what is occurring in evolution. Interesting. And, you know, while we're looking for patterns in some of these areas, uh, Amalendo, it looks like a lot of your concerns, especially when you look at topological objects or objects more physically, is to somehow algebraize them. Now, it it looks like you make a distinction between mathematization and and algebraization, right? Now, why 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 is representing it algebraically so crucial? Uh, so uh, because it gives you more information about the shape. So, for example. Uh, one way to understand why you need to... So just being able to represent it algebraically may give you more insights into it. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it allows it makes you it to, more understandable. It, it, it allows you to understand achieve it a finer uh, study of the object. If, uh, if you just uh, see this as a topological object, then uh, you miss out on many of the uh, things which this object has which you can achieve if you know that it has some algebraic structure. So, for example, if you look at just some, some spheres, then uh, in, 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 in practice all the spheres, uh, the surfaces, for example, like two-dimensional, say, compact objects. So all two-dimensional objects, uh, there are very few in topology, and they can always be characterized by some number, actually. Like you can have either a sphere or you can have a torus or you can have like some, you, you just uh, take double, torus, double so. torus or triple torus. A number of holes. A number think. of holes. So yeah. you can have only these many. But that's not the case. But these, but these all these tori, like if you put different, different holes, uh, even in one torus, there can be like many, many different algebraic structures. Uh, or you take, uh, it's only a sphere so, which has the only one sort of a structure. So you would say that as far as, uh, as an al algebraic geometer, if we 
for you a sphere would be a special case of a certain kind of an algebraic form is that the point uh, that's right so, so a sphere uh, a sphere is it's just the coincidence that uh, even algebraically there is only one sphere but if you take a different surface like a torus mm-hmm. or like many sums of tori Mm-hmm. then uh, in in a given like a structure topological structure there are like uncountably many algebraic structures what what does it mean for something to be an algebraic structure like, in, in the sense that because if, it looks if, like do they have topological equivalence they are all topologically same they are all topologically what we call homeomorphic right means they they look topologically same in the sense that you, if you give me one of them i can bend and do something and i can without tearing them and putting a hole in them just by hand doing something so long something. as it has the same number of holes yes you can you can just uh, get uh, any two structure you can get one from other as like long as the number of these handles is same but uh, if even in one such a structure uh, topologically there can be like many many algebraic structures which can be completely different which tells you that if you just look topologically then you are missing out many things which this object has Yes, Ram Rai. Yeah, something so, to say. Um, so then, can can uh, so if I were to be very naive, I could take a cube and make it a sphere, right? And so, are they two different algebraic structures in that sense? Uh, no, I think if you you cannot uh, first of all, cube is not an algebraic structure. I see. And uh, but topologically, the reason is that. sort of uh, uh, how do you define a cube? We can define by some kind of inequality. Uh, yeah. that sort of points it's not like, it's not an algebraic equation it's not an algebraic equation it doesn't so have a solution i say that it's an algebraic definition which means that you can define it by some set of finite set of polynomial equations i see I so see. a sphere has that property but not the cubes i see but on the other hand cubes and uh, spheres they are what we call like uh, topologically e- equivalent in the sense that although the one is manifold other is not, is not okay. but uh, what we say that in topology the, the mathematics the term is homotopy equivalence meaning in the sense that uh, any topological invariant algebraic invariant you try to find out for to uh, cube or a sphere they will turn out to be same so i think the the, the thing that we're trying to put a finger on both ramrai and i in a way and i'm including you in this is 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 that why are these different algebraic variants why is it interesting like w- what's non trivial about there being many algebraic varieties of let's say a toroid a torus uh, or something because the, the, the because as i said like uh, for, for example and are they just combinatorially different just different values of x y and z or something like that or like what is special about the difference uh you mean that what is dif- special about the algebraic mm. al- algebraic structure why yes. they give you different structures yes i think because uh, you see that uh, when you go from uh, algebra to topology mm-hmm. topology you only see how they look yeah but if you do like further surgery you really see the inside in things you don't really see topologically because i cannot catch everything right but uh, algebraic equations can catch everything because they are very precise so when you say catch everything you mean the internals of Ca- it yes catch the every everything about that structure almost everything so if you make transparent torus yes. sorry i'm being really naive here yes. but so what is it about the internal structure I, look i totally understand that 
not all algebraic notions will be translatable visually or topologically into some kind of a picture in our mind. So I get that part. But yes, w- what does one miss out if one looks at things only topologically and not algebraically? Uh, what one misses out, something depends on uh, like what structure you give. So for example, what let's, happens? Let's is talk the, of a double torus. Let's say. Yeah. So for example, what may happen is there are some some algebraic uh, invariants mm-hmm. which can come out of uh, writing the algebraic equations. Then uh, it may happen that these two double tori may have different answers. It 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 happens. So even like just take one torus, it may happen that uh, uh, there are two tori which are they look totally same, but they have totally different equations and one are not equivalent to others, and that uh, plays a very important role in understanding the algebraic structure of uh, these things. So, but visually they would be distinguishable, right? In visually they are because not distinguishable. Visually one they are not distinguishable. That's the thing. But because they all look same torai, all all they looks they they all look same torai. But so somehow, if they, if they somehow have the same size, yes, and they have two holes, yes, and both the both the torus have the same size and the width and so on, yes. Obviously, I'm not trying to make them identical. But yes, are they as identical as that, but still different algebra? Still different, yes. They are still different. So, so your one of the one of the responses you gave a while ago is that there may be something different about the internal structure. That's right. What That's... else could they be different on? Uh, so, so basically, yeah. So, the main thing, what you may, what what you see, the difference is their internal structure. That's the one thing which you don't capture by just looking from your eyes. And that can be captured by looking at the equations which they which they. But the very fact, Amalendu, that they are manifolds after all, mm-hmm. and that they are torus, mm-hmm. uh, means that they are regular. Yes. Because we kind of started off by thinking yes. of regularity as this equivalence with manifolds. Yes. So there's nothing irregular about them. There's nothing re- irregular even about the internal structure. No, they are nothing. They are all regular. Yes. They are, right. all, they are all regular. So they can all be represented by algebraic equations. They'll equate to something. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, they, yeah, uh, all, all Torai can be represented by, it turns out that all Torai can be represented by algebraic equations. And uh, presumably this holds across dimensions and for any number of holes and for any number of dimensions. That's right, right that's it right. It doesn't matter. That's right. Sorry, Ramra, you were saying something. No, I was trying to get at the internal... Uh, Structure. structure. So, uh, how would you characterize the internal structure? Amalindu, can you give any uh, uh, coordinates by which you can sort of tell us more about the internal structure? Uh, do you mean by, you know, again, I'm probably, uh, here as well, uh, probably biologists are limited by, because we tend to look at everything through visual metaphors. So, when you say the internal structure, I start imagining hollow toroids versus filled toroids and so on. I guess you that that is not what and you mean. And this has nothing to do with no, things no, like no, 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 not not that. Yeah, yes. yes. I'm yeah, just looking at the surface. The just surface itself the surface. somehow uh, algebraic can algebraically can be different. I see. Yes, but yes, could yes, it yes. be? It has nothing to do with aspects like hardness and others because they are physical properties. No, they yeah, are no, 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 no. That cannot be checked uh, so, so by the algebraic uh, representation. Right. So if we if we're looking if we're talking about torus in a in, in let's say Euclidean space, um, then it's something about its algebraic form, x, y, z coordinates and where they lie. And it's very, 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 very difficult to have an intuition about this. That's right. That's right. Uh, means for the torus, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 the point is that algebraically, dif- algebraic difference cannot be visualized by just uh, looking at them. That's the... 
that's one uh, problem with uh, algebraic uh, expressions. But on the other hand, the advantage is that if you can uh, represent any object like them uh, in an algebraic way, then uh, algebraic uh, equations or the, 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 the whole algebra as such allows you to study many properties of that structure which topology cannot uh, help you. So in that way, uh, if, if you want to like, for example, I will give you one example of how the algebraic representation helps. So sometimes what happens is that if you have some patterns, uh, that, that patterns can look very, very irregular mm -hmm. in the sense that, uh, for example, in mathematics, we say that this pattern may look uh, continuous everywhere, but it's not differentiable anywhere. Oh. It can happen. Like, the way it's transformed. Yeah, exactly. So it can look like it's, it's jumping everywhere, up and down, up and down. And uh, and that kind, of, kind of, that kind of structure can be very, very complicated to but study. But a structure like that is not smooth, right? No, they are not smooth. But what happens is that uh, you but, can sort of... So you can ask but that... It, it, visually, it's difficult to imagine that, that they're differentiable everywhere. Yes, visually it's very difficult to uh, imagine that because that's like drawing a tangent, right? That's right. That's right. But what happens is that so 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 then you can say that okay, these kind of structure are very difficult to study. But that's not true because you can sort of algebraically approximate them. You can you can sort of like draw a curve, which is given by a polynomial, and that looks as uh, as good as your original that very bad sort of uh, function. So are we are we going in the direction of fractals? Uh, they are fractals, yes. Those in a way, are because they are self-contained. They they yeah, you yeah. keep going further and further inside. Exactly. Uh, but they can always be, for us, They can. the, the, the fact is that uh, these kind of uh, pattern can also be algebraized in the sense that algebraized approximately, not exactly algebraic. They are not algebraic. But you can sort of approximate them by polynomials, equations. And then uh, polynomials allow you to uh, study these patterns uh, efficiently, closely. But can fractals be represented by algebraic equations? No, they cannot. They cannot. Be. They can so never. You can be. only approximate. You can them. only approximate this, and that's how uh, sometimes in 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 practice, I think, if you have like 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 Ram Rai was talking about these cancer cells or this kind of cells, like if you see their growth and somehow you try to sort of using some kind of differential equation, you get some pattern which they show you how they grow from one organ to other, how they spread, and they, their pattern may look possibly very, very complicated, like up and down going, like completely in chaotic way. But then you can sort of like approximate them by some kind of nice like polynomial function. And you can, and, and these approximations are so close that uh, they can, uh, if, if I draw those polynomial and draw these fractals, you cannot really distinguish unless you see them on, on, on computer. You have to zoom in. You have to zoom in. So they are so close that you can just forget about these fractals, these kind of bad patterns. You can just take those polynomial equations and study those polynomial equations, and they can allow you to see how this, 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 the growth is happening. That's so, so fascinating. It's very fascinating. But is there a way of even saying that if there were to be a fractal-like form, mm -hmm. um, does that even exist in the Euclidean space? You know what I mean? Because in a way, it, it's kind of self-contained and you keep going further and further inside. But do they exist? What kind of spaces do they exist in? Like for you as an algebraic geometer, are they are they 
are they in euclidean space are they in projective space are they in affine space or does it not matter i mean it, it, it so could the, exist the, anywhere these factors actually occur in in like in euclidean spaces but they are they don't live in the algebraic world yeah they don't yeah. live but they all actually the fact is that uh, these kind of very bad like uh, spaces or patterns actually occur uh, almost everywhere in the sense that in mathematical language we say that if you if you look at the space of uh, these patterns or the some kind of uh, set of these patterns these kind of functions all functions in that set of all such nice fun- all functions these bad functions actually are sufficiently dense in the sense that if you move around in the space of all functions every step you will encounter these kind of bad functions with a certain kind of uh, periodicity and regularity uh, yeah, are, yeah, they, yeah. Are, they, are they are they randomly distributed are they, they, com- they are completely randomly distributed in the in, in, as randomly as rational numbers are distributed in real numbers like amazing uh, is anywhere you go you will find some rational number you cannot avoid you cannot say that after this stage i will never I mean, find the a next rational 3 number. kilometers are okay yeah, it cannot happen <laughs> so that the same way these kind of factors occur like everywhere so you cannot really avoid them so only way is one way is to sort of see that whether you can uh, approximate them by uh, polynomials which means that you bring them in the world of uh, algebraic geometry and then you study those approximations and that can allow you to kind of guess or make some estimate of how these patterns actually look and that may help to understand them and try to try to see whether this kind of growth can be sort of controlled in a way by understanding these polynomial equations so is there are there other and and you know a parallel is always tricky ramrai but are some kinds of cancer either of some organs or i don't know you you know better ways of classifying this do some of them have a more regular pattern i mean are some kinds of cancer more virulent more chaotic more random than the others because you know one is trying to in a way chart the phase space i don't know what what the right terminology mm-hmm. is i mean how does one say what kind of space let's call cancer an object and okay. if, if if it were traversing the space space what what kind of a space does it occupy and where is it likely to go next so maybe a good place to start is a slightly more regular kind of cancer is yes. there such a thing as slightly regular kind of cancer <laughs> no so i'll i'll tell you in what way um, there's a certain predictability about uh, cancers or certain discrete uh, things about cancer so I, let me again there are two two dimensions on which i can touch upon one is in terms of um, the shape of the cancer spread and uh, uh, if you were to take different kinds of breast cancer cells and if you were to put them in an environment let them grow mm-hmm. now we are not talking about a completely in an in an organ environment like in our body where there are way too many variables sure you know, too many different contingencies that come in and you know allow us not to look at the geometry in its purest form but if you just take the cancer cells and put them in a three dimensional space full of a, say a given protein where which which typically surrounds them you would see that there are some cancers that grow in starburst patterns like as mm-hmm. they grow in a, in a way stars grow in terms of you know certain projections other cancers would simply grow as balls mm. other cancers would have more of a grape like uh, morphology like a bunch of grapes right. so there are discrete shapes by which you actually do get there are very different kinds there are very different kinds and that that affects and that you can correlate that with the aggressiveness of cancer so are these different algebraic forms 
a grape like i'm not suggesting you've thought about this but is your intuition that a starburst pattern or a grape like pattern or a spherical ball like growth pattern they are, are different yes algebraically yeah, they yeah algebraically they are completely different okay yes. excellent so, so we have something, something very fundamental uh, going on here so the, it can be correlated with the aggressiveness for example something that grows like a, in this in stellate or star like pattern typically tend to be the most aggressive cancers on the other hand cancers that grow as as balls tend to be the slow growing uh cancers and so on uh and one can actually you know put these shapes in a in a hierarchy of progression or aggressiveness and and ram rai this is irrespective of the type of cancer or right now you're talking only about breast cancer oh no so um, in fact a, a, a recent paper of mine in submission also looks at this in the, in, in bladder cancer not everybody has worked on all cancers sure. or in this manner but uh, we at least know about breast and bladder sure. now the other regularity i would uh, talk about or predictability i would talk about is in terms of spread that i'm going to mention uh, different cancers have uh, specific modes uh, of of homing in on specific organs uh, so you would have for example breast cancer going typically only to the brain and the liver mm. uh, it's something of the interaction between the the mm. soil which is the liver or the brain and the seed which is the cancer so you need the right kind of combinations and there are certain combinations that are allowed and certain ones that are not allowed so uh, you have the uh, the breast cancer going to the liver and the lung and the brain uh, on the other hand some other cancers uh, which might have access to these organs as well but will not go to those organs will not grow again in those organs will or will not what is known as metastasize to those organs so different cancers and, have and, their and, own and, specificities and there's and their choices and surely the reasons are complex but what's the reason for that so the reason uh, for that is uh, is 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 the cues both physical as well as chemical by physical i mean physical chemical mechanical as well as chemical cues that they receive from the soil environment from the environment to which they will eventually home to if the right kind of cues are available for them to grow there they will grow otherwise they will not grow for example the the cells that are shed the cancer cells that are shed by the breast actually are moving around the entire circulation of our body you never get cancer in say a thumb right. or a toe right it never happens right the first thing they go and and they home on to is the lung followed by liver and so on so there are certain areas which are preferred which have the right kind of cues to now allow or the permit the growth of cancer there and then there are certain which are not permissive to that so there are such specificities as well which make cancers very discrete pancreatic cancer will not home to the right kind of places that say a breast cancer homes to so it's in the nature of both the the origin which is the pancreas or the breast and the organ so in a way there is origin destination mapping and there are oh, there is origin destination the, mapping absolutely depending on where you start you're more likely to yes. end up somewhere yes. or at least yes. infect another yes. part yes. or something yes. like that yes. colonize a part and colonize and there is um, so as far as you are concerned from a bio, bio, biological perspective the notion of regularity is more general than yes uh, I, i think amlindo's world is abstract enough so yes. uh, as it is it's difficult to get one's arms around everything but like even our fingers for example you would say that there is they are regular i mean they obviously look different and they have different sizes and so on but as far as you, you are concerned you would say that 
there's a regular underlying pattern would you say that yes i would say that so uh, again this goes back to uh, i think the the notion of uh, uh, complexity of patterns that again computational theorists have uh, gifted us um, allowing us to sort of build our ideas on it so this goes back to again uh, the uh, the idea of by kolmogorov yeah. um kolmogorov who complexity. kolmogorov's complexity or the complex kolmogorov chaitin solomonov's complexity all three of them kind of came in at the same time uh, towards it uh, so the the idea being how do i code um or how do i how do i begin to describe the information contained within a particular phenomena event is to basically write a code for it how do you say the two apart how do you say irregularity apart from complexity i'll i'll give you i'll i'll give the example so uh, when uh, something uh, so when something can be described in the minimal amount of code uh, that is that would identify it as complexity now if you have very iterative patterns something that is very regular in its pattern it's very you can write a very small code and describe it for a completely irregular pattern the code is as big as describing the pattern yeah right uh, so biologists typically uh, if it's are too complex then it's as good as irregular as good as irregular so uh, the code becomes are you, infinitely are you, are you long. satisfied with that amlendu or are you cringing <laughs> at our our um, highly un- non rigorous uh, articulation of this are you okay with that if something is too complex then yes. it's as good as irregular Yeah, in a sense that you forget about them. That's <laughs> <laughs> nice. We have something on which Amlendu is with us. Yes, so yes, yes. So biologists typically uh, are are not fascinated. Uh, we forget about the irregular. <laughs> we also are not very interested in the extremely regular things. Right. That is too boring for us. But they, uh, is there anything as such as probably regular? not in biology? Yeah, so biological in biology. patterns typically tend to be somewhere, somewhere in between. In middle, yeah. This again, uh, incidentally. computational theorists have also identified so the person is grassberger grassberger did a lot of work with crutch james crutchfield on this uh, notion of ir- intermediate irregular patterns where you have again the concept of scale coming in on one spatial scale you have irregularity but you have some regularity on certain other scales right. coexisting and invariably we see that those are the kind of patterns that we deal with you mentioned the digits we all of us to a great extent most of us seem to have five fingers which we are reasonably spaced apart uh, and sized but at the same time they are also have shapes which are quite different right. so there's a certain sense of regularity but there's also an underlying a second scale which is say the scale of each finger which is different which right. is irregular right. so uh, i would agree with uh, you know or i would at least say that you know for biologists we don't deal with completely iterative clean Sh- uh, patterns those are what like say the architects and all deal with but we deal with Nothing patterns fractal that fractal like in in the biological context uh, so again you know uh, people keep showing uh, patterns on seashells and uh, lung branchings and all to some extent there might uh, one might say that there is fractal like behavior you know we have big branches blood vessels right big br- blood vessels breaking into smaller ones into smaller and smaller and smaller in respiratory in respiratory tract the lung branching and all but it's not infinite right i mean yeah. it cannot go into smaller and smaller and smaller ones so now if you don't have that i wonder if you can call that fractal or not is there i mean i think uh, ramraj has just referred to this amlendu are there are there patterns which are regular at one scale and i don't know whether you think of scale in the way we are thinking of it in the biological context and irregular at another scale so things that may be 
algebraically representable because for you that is, let's say, the idea of regularity at one scale, but you know, irregular or regular at another. Uh, what can happen that a shift can be regular at some place, irregular at some other place, if it is what you meant. But but then they would be at, at a global level. They would be irregular. No, no, they won't be regular at a global level. They they would be globally irregular. Globally irregular. irregular. Yes, yes, that's right. And another problem with uh, here the algebra helps is that if you have a shape and uh, even if the shape is topologically regular, namely that it can be, it is smooth, like uh, it is defined by some kind of functions which are uh, differentiable infinitely many times. So, so these kind of functions, actually these kind of shapes may have singularity at various places. And in fact, they can have singularity like at almost everywhere. But they may not. But they may have regularity also at many other places. So it, then it's very hard to kind of check for this kind of topological or a smooth object that where they have this irregularity and where they have regularity. So they, even the, the set of points where they are both can be actually dense. But that cannot happen with algebraic objects. Once you know that certain a shape can be algebraically representable, then we can say for sure that the set of place points... All of points space, on it are. Yeah, the set of points where it has it has a irregularity is what we call is nowhere dense in the sense that it has measure zero. Right. In the sense that the, its, it its complement is, is, is dense. Right. So uh, that's one advantage of uh, knowing that this, is, this, this thing is algebraically representable. But topological object is very hard to tell that when where the, the the space has singularity and where the space has regularity. So what's the future, Amelia? Why don't we why don't we try and end with this? Is there a, do you think that in the next fifty years, hundred years, five hundred years, you know, obviously you and your colleagues around the world are slogging away. Is there a way to solve this hard problem of looking at a topological object and saying whether it has an algebraic representation? Um, is 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 that is that something that interests you and the colleagues, or is that a naive question? It's I, I, it's it's not a naive question. It's a very serious question, but uh, it is uh, it is I think it's it's something so hard that uh, you don't know where to start. You don't know you don't know exactly uh, uh, if if you have some 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 shape. How what 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 you are going to how do you start with to say that after certain st steps I can come to the conclusion that this has algebraic representation or not. Think, Maybe it know, may happen that you may not be able to decide at all. So I think that rather than going into this kind of very, very unknown territory, uh, people like to see what, uh, like particularly me, like kind of things I do is that I say that, okay, let's assume that this object has algebraic representation. Then what does it tell you about the space, uh, the shape itself? Right. How does how does just because I know that this is algebraic object, how does it help to understand the geometry or topology? Of then you it? look for properties. Then you start understanding, analyzing the the equations which which define this object, and and try to study this equation and say that these equations tell us this this information about uh, this this shape which topology cannot tell you. So that looks more interesting that. Uh, if you know that this space, this shape has certain representation, what information you can gather from this?
It's at least a mathematics question because yes. the question I asked is a little bit of a meta mathematics question. You don't yeah, know that's it. right. So it's a, <laughs> uh, it's like it's a very very hard question to tell that when an object can have algebraic presentation. Do you think there because one way of asking this, and I think Ramrai has brought it up a few times. Do you think it's likely to come up with an algorithm to to determine whether? Now, obviously, an algorithm is just another way of saying. So what you can do is that the, what mathematicians have done in the past is that, for example, uh, this uh, this uh, this famous mathematician called Henry Poincaré, yeah, like uh, he he, ha- he made a very famous conjecture about, and he was studying in exactly the kind of questions you are asking that he had some topological objects and he saw that oh there are, and he was particularly interested in three dimensional objects because. Right. Two two dimensional space we already studied. The next was the three dimensional space, uh, which mostly we we encounter actually in our life, and he was actually interested in classifying these three dimensional objects. And he he was interested in how we can say that okay, only these these type of three dimensional structure can occur in nature. And uh, he made a certain conjectures that well, if you know that certain three dimensional which is closed and compact. Three manifold, and if it has certain property, then it must be actually three sphere and nothing else. Yeah. That's so beautiful that the sphere is the simplest kind of object. And if I know that, if I check what Poincaré conjecture condition is, and if that condition is verified on that shape, then I say that this shape is nothing must but this must be three sphere. So I don't break my head further. Basically. That's amazing. It's proved now, and it's not proven. It's not proven. So now the and then the Poincaré conjecture was actually generalized also. Right. In 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 in, in a, what is called the Jumetrius conjecture, which was which was, who, whose Poincaré conjecture is a very special case. So these all conjectures are basically the kind of questions you are asking that how you can say that if I give you a certain class of shapes and I say that if this class satisfies x and y z and x y and z condition, then it must look like this. But the generalized form of this is is across n dimensions, or uh, no? The geometrization conjecture is also about the three manifold. But uh, there is a generalization of Poincaré conjecture in higher dimensions, in dimension four, five, and any n dimension. But that was already proven before, right? Because that was not so difficult as three dimension. The reason is again because if the dimension is too small, then nothing much can happen. Right. Like if you are in real line, nothing can happen basically. So if you are uh, in plane, real line also, is boring. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you are in plane, also not too much can happen. Right. But in three dimensional things can happen. But in four dimensional, there are so many things to move around, so many, so much place to move around that it helps you to solve a problem. So higher dimension sometimes is helpful because dimension is so big that you can move your object around here, there, and sort of try to sort of solve it. And that is exactly what allowed to uh, people to solve a generalization of Poincaré conjecture in higher dimension. But three dimension is a very typical dimension where we cannot avoid, and this dimension is not too big and not too small, so things become most complicated. And that is the reason Poincaré conjecture was so difficult that it took 100 Almost years 100 to solve. Years. Yes. So, so, so people have to make a precise conjecture that, well, if you take a class of shapes and say that this, this class of shapes if satisfies certain conditions, then its, it's, its shape must be algebraizable or it must look like this and I don't know if there are some conject- very precise conjecture in this directions at this moment but it is very fascinating I guess to make such conjecture what on- is what is what is your conjecture 
well, is your uh, guess? Uh, I would what? rather not uh, say the, uh, anything on this because I don't You're work. You're a serious on, guy, Amlin, though. You're not given to saying frivolous things. But that's, yeah, that's but uh, I, because I, I am not um, sort of... Uh, uh good enough to make a conjecture in this direction because i don't work in that area or sure. if i if i make a conjecture and without any intuition that will be meaningless so but as far as the only thing i can tell is as far as i know uh, i don't know of any precise conjecture at this sky. moment which can people tackle because this is a very very hard problem to sort of say that when certain kind of shapes can have certain kind of form because most of us are struggling to study this but i but uh, what i should tell you that the poincare conjecture plus geometrization conjecture together basically allow you to study something, all three manifolds something like that all three manifolds can be essentially understood by poincare conjecture excellent what's the future ramrai do you think uh, you will is your hunch that you'll need a different kind of mathematics to 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 figure out your biological world yes um i think um we will need a different kind of mathematics so i won't say different kind of mathematics um i don't know what the kind of means in that sense uh, but um a lot of a lot more um creative thinking would need to be incorporated into that for example the idea of how to store information in multiple scales and how to partition information across scales is something that uh, i know uh, complexity theorists for example are struggling with right so that that's the new mathematics that is there the other idea being that you know again when we talk about these patterns um uh, when i mentioned for example uh, wolfram's uh, mechanisms um, or wolfram's conjectures on on how these patterns can be brought about to simple computational rules uh, w- one of the major dimensions that is i feel very much missing from these rules even say turing is the context is not just the context the, the material properties uh, right. of of biological matter it doesn't it, take the physics into it doesn't account, take the biophysics it doesn't take the physics into account it doesn't take the material properties into account which is too complicated yes it's too computational so uh, it's too algorithmic and um, i think the material properties of 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 matter of biological matter uh, needs to be taken into into context into the mathematics needs to unless, be brought unless into the unless the view is that the the biophysics or the physics of it is subsumed within the computational aspects which is which is um, kind of uh, sure. a, a, a somewhat rash assumption sure. to begin with sure, sure, sure. so uh, you know those are the things that we need to uh, that's where biology needs to go it's it is going in that direction people are working on for example how does the reaction diffusion um, um uh, patterns uh, how do they uh, go on surfaces which are curved surfaces right. on a sphere on a on an ellipsoid and so on uh, another question is how soft is that ellipsoid or how hard is the ellipsoidal surface on which the reaction so the materiality works. of things that, that has to be, to be brought into place it is it will make it very messy i know it will make it very messy but that that's unfortunately what it's, it's in the uh, direction of messiness and not elegance but yeah, hopefully it is not it'll not be elegance on the other side of the ticket hopefully but uh, terrific terrific i think thanks to both of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again thank you for coming thank you thank you thank you so much